Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And in this week's episode, I'm answering a question that I get pretty often from listeners about flour. Because most people get why we need to cut down sugar, but why flour? What is it about flour that seems to be problematic for some people? And why did I, Netta, decide to cut flour and pretty much all types of grains? Especially as many studies show that whole grains are good for you. So I'll be answering that listener question in just a minute. But first, I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources about how to get rid of cravings, then I have plenty for you. First, download my five tips to get rid of cravings. And those five tips may not be what you think they are. So go to aftersugarclub.com and download your five tips today. And come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, as well as my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar, which is where you'll get all kinds of inspiration so that you can see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at netta underscore lifeaftersugar. Okay, so I'm answering a listener question about flour. And more specifically, the question I hear the most often is, what's wrong with flour? So I want to start there by saying there's nothing wrong with flour. In fact, there's actually, in my opinion, nothing wrong with sugar. It's just that for some of us, once we start putting sugar and flour into our bodies, something happens to our behavior, to our brain, and to our blood sugar levels, and we get like overtaken by this desire to eat more and more and more. And so I would argue that the problem isn't with the actual substance as much as it is with how we relate to the substance. Some people can eat just one cookie or one square of chocolate or one or two slices of bread and then stop. But many, many of us can't. Not through some personal failing or moral weakness or anything. Our brains are just wired that way where we just can't stop. And for people like us, and I include myself, Both sugar and flour have this effect. And, well, speaking for myself, I don't want to have that type of relationship with foods that make me behave that way. I don't want to be that netter who just can't stop. 
And that's why I often say that for me, and for probably hundreds of thousands of others just like me, zero is freedom. And so flour, like sugar, outside of the body, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. And it's not the actual substance or food that's the problem, in my humble opinion. It's what it does, not just inside of your body, but also to your behaviour. And yes, we are all different. And we don't all react the same way with the same foods or the same triggers. And again, not everybody behaves in the same way with products that contain sugar and or flour. We're not all the same. We don't behave in the same way and we don't have the same type of relationship with sugar and flour. Because we're all different. And it's really difficult to understand someone else's issue when you don't experience that issue yourself. So what I want to talk about in this episode is how it feels for someone like me who has real difficulty moderating products or foods that are made with flour, whatever the source of the flour, wheat or anything else. So if you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably aware that I'm pretty public about not eating sugar. And in general, that's socially acceptable, maybe looked on as being a little bit strange or marginal, but in general, people kind of respect how I eat. But then, when they learn that I also don't eat flour, well, then the questions and the judgment come. Are you gluten intolerant? Are you celiac? But look, it's not even made with wheat flour. This is rice flour, or almond flour, or chickpea flour, or whatever. What's wrong with whole grains? They're full of fibre. But why are you cutting out flour? You don't need to lose weight. Are you keto? Are you low carb? Is this that new fad diet? No bread? But how do you make a sandwich? No pasta? But what do you put your sauce on? Oh, come on, just a little bit won't hurt you. Enjoy. You only live once. But I made it myself. It's home-baked. Come on, just try a little bit. There's no sugar in it. It doesn't even taste sweet. And so on. So in my experience over the last eight plus years, I get a lot more kickback when people learn that I don't eat flour. Whereas when I say I don't eat sugar, I get some pretty positive feedback. Now, why is that? Is it because we've been told for so long that whole grains and the fibre in whole grains are part of a healthy diet? Well, here's my question. In flour, are the grains actually whole? Well, no. They've been ground up into powder. I mean, they were whole, whether it's wheat or almonds or coconut 
or whatever else they make powder out of to make flour. But the milling of the whole grain actually affects how the fibre and the starch affect the body. I mean, let's face it, even bread that's marketed as being whole grain doesn't actually contain very many whole grains at all. I mean, the vast majority of the grains that make up any type of bread, even lovely home-baked bread that you make with your own fair hands, is flour. And when grains are milled into powder form, the starch that's part of the whole grain is absorbed much more quickly by the body. In fact, in pretty much the same way and in pretty much the same speed as sugar. And I hate to say it, but it's very similar with the fibre in whole grains. In fact, as Dr. Robert Lustig says, most flour used in baking and other goods in the US and in Western countries is still white refined flour made from the starchy centre of the wheat kernel called the endosperm. And the germ, which contains the nucleic acids, the polyphenols, the flavonoids, the vitamins, the antioxidants and other micronutrients, as well as the fibrous outer layer, the bran, which contains soluble and insoluble fibre, are removed. So although whole grain flour is a slightly better option nutritionally, Dr Lustig says that the way that products are made on an industrial scale today by separating out the three components of the whole grain, the bran, the germ and the endosperm, using industrial roller mills and then putting back all the constituents of the grain together again and then making them into products means that even though the flour contains the constituent parts in the same proportions as in the original intact grain, the flour won't be metabolized in the same way as the whole grain. And where a glycemic response and an insulin response is concerned, flour, in other words, pulverized grains, are metabolized completely differently from whole grains. And pulverized fiber loses its capacity to slow down the absorption of the starch in the grains. And starch is a type of sugar. I want to take a quick break to say that if this is your first time here, then welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast. And whether you're new or a regular and you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, could I ask you to scroll down and tap on the stars to rate this podcast and also to write a short review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. I love reading your reviews. And when you rate and review this podcast, not only does it encourage me to continue making new episodes, but it also helps to share this podcast and have more people see it so that we can help more people feel better and lose weight with less sugar. So again, thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast 
and for spreading the word about sugar. Bottom line, when the packaging or the marketing says whole grains, well, both Dr. Lustig and I say that it's not actually whole or intact at all. And Dr. Lustig also says that a lot of our food, industrial food especially, has been stripped of its fibre, which means that the good bacteria in our guts, which would normally feed on fibre, can't anymore. And this sets us up for dysregulations like inflammation and leaky gut. In fact, I came across a very interesting explanation of why flour affects the body so differently from whole grains in Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson's book, Brightline Eating. She explains that where sugar and flour are concerned, once they're ground up, your brain reacts to them like it would if they were a drug. That sounds pretty shocking. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, this may not happen to you. Your brain may not react that way because not everyone's brain does because we don't all react in the same way. But what I find fascinating is when Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson says this. She says, picture fine white powder like flour or crystals like sugar. And yeah, it does sound like we're talking about drugs, doesn't it? And Susan Pierce Thompson is a professor of brain and cognitive sciences who's been studying the field of food addiction and especially sugar and flour all her career. And by the way, she was my guest on episode 125 of the Life After Sugar podcast. In her book, Dr. Thompson explains that in powder form, the surface area of each particle, in this case, each grain, is exponentially increased. She quotes Dr. Alan Christensen, a top naturopathic physician, who makes a great analogy about the speed of sugar or flour absorption. Imagine that you have a block of ice on some hot asphalt. Well, that block of ice will take hours to melt. And that's pretty much like a whole grain with the fibre intact. It takes much longer for the body to digest and metabolise the starch or the sugar in the whole grain. And the intact fibre will slow that whole process down even more. And that's good. That's what we want to happen. For the starch and the sugars to be metabolised slowly. Whereas if you take that block of ice and shave it into like snow cone shavings and then put it on the hot asphalt, it will melt on contact. And that's what Dr. Christensen explains for when any kind of plant is ground down into flour, for example. Because then, he says, the digestive enzymes can have a field day with it. He says that whether that plant is sugar cane or sugar beet or an ear of corn or wheat, its powdered form 
means it's absorbed much faster in the body, leading to a faster spike in blood sugar. And he's not the only one who says that that blood sugar spike is not a good thing. Why? Well, the glucose goddess, whose real name is Jessie Anchospe, explains that whether you have type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, pre-diabetes, or none of the above, learning about your glucose levels and how to reduce your glucose spikes will help you know what to do to balance your glucose levels and help reduce or eliminate cravings, constant hunger, fatigue, brain fog, hormonal and fertility issues, skin conditions, wrinkles, poor sleep, menopause symptoms, mental health symptoms, the risk of heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, fatty liver disease, and cancer, she says, because we want to keep blood sugar levels stable, not take them on a roller coaster ride. Now that we've seen how flour is metabolized or absorbed by the body in pretty much the same way as sugar, I thought it might be useful to give you a list of foods that contain flour and more specifically refined flour because as I said earlier milling or grinding grains into flour is actually the process by which the grains are refined or processed. So here are some popular foods that contain flour. Bread, whether it's store-bought or homemade, pasta, cookies, cakes, pretzels, chips, muffins, crackers, cereal, pizza crust, pie crust, donuts, and pretty much any type of bar like snack bars or breakfast bars. And that's not counting flour or thickening agents in processed foods, especially sauces. Additives like cornstarch or potato starch or tapioca starch. And that's also not counting the use of pesticides like glyphosate that's very often used for wheat. Well, what about barley and rye flour, oat flour, amaranth flour, rice flour, buckwheat flour, corn flour, or quinoa flour, or chickpea, or lentil, or coconut flour, or the popular almond flour? Well, again, there's nothing wrong with them, But as consumers, I think it's important for us to realise that all of these healthy whole foods, once they're ground up into flour, affect the body in pretty much the same way. In other words, with a blood glucose spike. And after the blood glucose spike comes an insulin spike. So to finish up this episode, I don't know if you've ever read the books Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter or William Davis's Wheat Belly, but they definitely made an impression on me when I first read them. But it wasn't because of those books that I stopped eating grains and flour. And as far as I know, I've never been gluten intolerant, although I may have become more intolerant to processed foods that contain flour that contains gluten over the past few years. But seeing that flour 
in North America at least, is in so many highly processed food products, maybe the problem isn't flour itself, but the products that contain it. And especially the prevalence of these products, which most of the time are highly processed by the foods industry, which means that they retain very, very little of the original fibre and nutritional value of whole grains. So, should you eat flour or shouldn't you eat flour? Well, you may be surprised to learn that I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't eat, but I am here to help you educate yourself and make your own decisions for your own health and well-being. If you choose to eat products that contain flour and everything is hunky-dory, great! And if you choose not to eat products with flour, for whatever reason, that's great too. As long as you're making your decision based on what's best for you. So I hope this episode has been helpful to answer this listener question, what about flour? Or even, what's wrong with flour? And if you want to go deeper into your relationship with sugar and flour and processed foods in general, because you know that cravings are derailing you, even if you eat pretty healthy, then there are two ways that we can work together. First, in the After Sugar Club which is designed to give you support and accountability through our live check-in calls at a more affordable price. The After Sugar Club is always open for you. Check out the After Sugar Club private membership when you go to aftersugarclub.com, click on After Sugar Club in the top menu. And for more step-by-step guidance and customised support, to help you get rid of cravings so that you can slim down and finally feel in control around food, there's my 90-day program, Freedom from Cravings Formula, which opens a few times a year. To get more info about the program and when it next opens, go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button to schedule a clarity call with me so that we can talk together to see if the Freedom From Cravings Formula program is a good fit for you. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.